The Athletic. Qatar amongst the pigeons. It's day three of the World Cup. And Saudi Arabia show they're not just here to make up the numbers. Unlike the people who calculate stadium attendance, beating tournament favourites Argentina 2-1. We look back on that game, one of the biggest upsets ever. And the other action on Tuesday, 0-0s for Denmark and Tunisia and Mexico and Poland. And for world champions France, a fat 4-1 against Australia. Plus, we look ahead to Wednesday, introducing Canada, the Maple Leafs, who may leaf early or may pull off a major shock. It's Totally Football Show at the World Cup, sponsored by Live Score Bet. Well, third day of this World Cup, and it's been a bit special, listen. Thank you so much for joining us for our look back at it all. On the Totally Show today, we've got Jay Harris and Liam Tharm. Hi to you both. Hello, how you doing? Pretty good, thank you. High on World Cup. Later on as well, we'll be joined by uh, James Horncastle, Well Jabir, and Joshua Cloak uh, too. But yeah, I mean, it's just been a, a day that began with a real buzz on account of that Argentina-Saudi Arabia game. And then we had games that were less buzzy. But also this evening, huge, huge news kind of outside the World Cup on a Man United tip, Jay. Yeah, so I think there's been two massive bits of news. Obviously, firstly, the news that Cristiano Ronaldo is going to leave. They've come to a, a mutual agreement. Um, I think it's probably the best outcome for all parties involved, but the fact it still happened is just baffles me. It was only 18 months ago when he arrived in the summer of 2021. Cristiano Ronaldo, Jadon Sancho and Rafa Varane were being you know, hailed as the, the final pieces in the jigsaw that was going to take them to the Premier League title. And just the fact it's ended in such complete disarray is, is baffling. But then, you know, long-term future for Man United, even bigger news is the fact that it sounds like the Glazers are, are willing to, to finally consider selling the club. Yeah, instructed banks to handle the sale. It is exciting though, Ronaldo unemployed at the World Cup. <laughs> uh, it's a unique situation. I think it's very interesting now you see Portugal, obviously we're looking at this through really an international lens that they're having similar, I think, discussions or the question mark is there for them about, uh, you know, should Ronaldo start? Does he get the best out of this team? Um, arguably not so. It'd be very interesting now, of course, they're yet to even kick a ball. So this is this is great, um, even more sort of jeopardy in the World Cup. Okay, if you want more on all things Man United, there's an emergency Talk of the Devils podcast that's going to be with you. It should be out right now, in fact. Uh, plus, of course, you can uh, get all the juicy details on theathletic.com. The other news, and um, we've yet to see how big it is on this Tuesday evening, is that Harry Kane's going to have a scan on that ankle, the one that looked a bit swollen. Uh, we don't know what this means, but him having a scan, it sounds ominous. I think David Ornstein also then tweeted the indications are that he is OK. OK. So hopefully it's more of a precautionary scan. But yeah, I think it sent most of England into to mild panic this evening that the, the doomsday scenario of Kane getting injured and being out for the rest of the tournament could actually be upon us. But hopefully it's just, you know, a minor injury. Worst case scenario, he might miss Friday's game against um, the US, but but hopefully it's nothing too serious. Mm. All right. Well, we'll keep abreast of that. Meanwhile, in Qatar, on the field, some interesting scorelines, to put it mildly. Ian Doyle pointing out the South American champions, the African champions and the Asian champions have already lost at this World Cup. Remarkable. And the European champions, of course, didn't even qualify. Huh. So, well, there have been some upsets. The world champions, of course, Tuesday night, France, they had a bit of a scare as well. The scores anyway, before we get into uh, the action. 
Group D saw Denmark drawing 0-0 with Tunisia and France beating Australia 4-1. In Group C, Mexico-Poland was also goalless, but the opening game of the day saw Saudi Arabia beating Argentina 2-1. And that's where we begin. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Yes, indeed. 1pm in Qatar, 10am in the UK. One of the all-time upsets was happening. Argentina, South American champions, unbeaten in 36 matches. They hadn't conceded in five games. Taking on Saudi Arabia, taking the lead against Saudi Arabia, but then losing 2-1. It's been called one of the biggest upsets in World Cup history. We'll get the thoughts of Liam and Jay very, very shortly. But we'll hear first from just a couple of people who were there at the Luzail Stadium. James Hallcastle in a second. And first, Wael Jabir. Well, thank you so much for joining us. First of all, what was it like there at the Aldozeo? It was incredible. Uh, honestly, it was easily one of the best matches I've been to. And I have been to quite a few. Uh, it's a game that has started with, with an incredible atmosphere since the morning. We got to the stadium at 9 a.m. for for the 1 p.m. kickoff, and Argentinian fans were already there. Saudi fans arrived in droves just after that. So the atmosphere was absolutely incredible even before kickoff. And Argentina, of course, they they took the lead. They they had two goals ruled out for for offside. So it was an exciting first half. But then when Saudi equalized, and then later when they got the winner, the the stadium just erupted, and it went to a whole different level of excitement. How many how many Saudi fans had made the trip? The numbers that I've seen from from Saudi officials are are talking about forty five thousand fans, and I reckon obviously with the capacity of the stadium, the official attendance today was eighty eight thousand. And I would say it was around 50-50 between Saudis and Argentinians. People were just singing and dancing outside, especially the Argentinians. They were just, they were buzzing for the game, I guess. And and yeah, it did not end well for them, but uh, it, was, it was a fantastic atmosphere nevertheless. Well, did you speak to any Saudi fans before the game? Do you have an idea of what their expectations of what they were about to see were? Yes, I did speak to quite a few of them. And surprisingly, many of them were actually confident. Uh, whether they were truly confident or were they just saying that to the camera, we'll never know. But many of them, we asked them, what did you actually do if, if Saudi actually won this game? And they were, of course, we're going to win it. We're going to win this game. We're confident. Well, how right they were. Saudi Arabia's King Salman has announced a public holiday on Wednesday in honour of the result, which would you say is the greatest Arab football result ever? I would say it's right up there. The only one that I can think of is probably Algeria beating West Germany in 1982. I think that's the only one that comes even close to this. But again, with Argentina having Messi to their side, one of the, if not the greatest football player of all time, then that puts it to on a whole different level as well. All right. And having seen them in action on this Tuesday, how far do you think Saudi Arabia can go? Yeah, I'm going to try not to get carried away. I'm going to try to <laughs> to stay objective. Uh, I think Saudi Arabia, obviously, they have navigated the most difficult challenge in their group. Uh, but that being said, Mexico and Poland are not easy teams. Uh, Mexico, they're always in the round of 16 of the World Cup. They know how to get there. Poland with Lewandowski, they're not going to be an easy team to play against. But 
if if they play the same way they played against Argentina, anything is possible. Well, one other thing for a lot of uh, supporters around the world, this will have really caught them uh, by surprise because not many people know that much about Saudi football. How how strong is the game there, the the league, and and how how realistic a reflection of their quality is today's result? Yeah, funny that you say that because before the game, that was one of the things we were going around asking Argentinian fans, do they know any Saudi players? And none of them could identify a single Saudi player. I'm sure that would have changed after the game. But yeah, uh, the Saudi league is actually uh, a strong league. Uh, I was looking at the numbers and if I remember correctly, it's the league with the most players in the World Cup after the top five European leagues and the MLS. So obviously that's a big part of that is thanks to all their national team players being based in the league, but they are not the only ones. There are at least 10 other players at the World Cup who play in the Saudi league. There are many other players who of, of high quality who are either internationally retired or from teams that have not, uh, have not qualified to the World Cup who play in the league. Uh, it's a strong league. It's, uh, it's an up-and-coming league. It keeps getting better every year. And I think they're gradually moving from the point where it's a league where people go to to wind down their careers, to go there for, for their last season or two for a big paycheck. And they're moving from that to being a truly competitive league. And yeah, it's, it's a league that gets better year after year. Right. Well, I can imagine that uh, today's result will be a huge boost to that. Uh, magnificent. Wow, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure being with you. you well Javier also present the Luzail Stadium was a freshly arrived in Qatar James Horncastle who also joins us now James hello hello from Madinat Khalifa North there you go that's where it's happening James Horncastle joining us now James day one of your first ever World Cup experience you've only just arrived straight off the plane you've seen one of the one of the biggest upsets since I took Jules's coconut rice that time yeah, and we all know that Jules has never come back from that. So never. will Argentina? Yeah. We'll all see. right. Well, it was it was a huge game. We were hearing that the uh, supporters were getting to the stadium at nine a.m. for a one o'clock kickoff. What was it like mm-hmm. there? It was a great atmosphere. I mean, it's my first time in Lucille. I imagine it was the first time that a lot of the fans had had, had been there. And yeah, it, it feels like. It feels like you're going to a new planet that's been completely constructed for the first time. I mean, some of the architecture around there is is, is remarkable, um, and it's the biggest stadium, uh, you know, at the World Cup. Uh, what a stage for this for this upset! It's it's where the final will be held, and you know what surprised me as much as as fans got there early, James. Did they get there too early? That's what I want to know because you know. Uh, Having been to Argentina games in the past, you know, be it the Finalissima, Wembley, um, you know, having seen them in in Brazil during the World Cup in 2014, you know, the, the Argentine fans kind of roll into town. They sing songs about you. They really make themselves heard, make themselves felt. In this game, uh, what was curious was that when Messi scored early on, it was kind of a quite a subdued uh, element to it. Uh, in that. It was almost like, yeah, that's supposed to happen. So great, um, bring on more goals, and yeah, the more goals did come for Argentina, but they were all disallowed for offside. And then what happened at the beginning of the second half was Saudi scored, 
The Saudi fans were not expecting their team to score. They hadn't had a shot on target, I don't think, up until that point. And all of a sudden, the Saudi fans in the stadium generated an atmosphere which kind of created the momentum for them to seize the moment and really capitalise on five minutes of panic, uncertainty for Argentina and score a goal, which they did. Now, I mean, I don't think Argentina deserved to lose the game. I think what made it such kind of an epic performance for Saudi Arabia was there were last gas tackles on Messi as he was kind of running towards the penalty area. There was goal line headed clearance. There was the yeah, the kind of the goalkeeper coming for clearances himself and getting clattered. And yeah, there's been a lot of discussion about should the World Cup be in Qatar. But yeah, I mean, you you saw with the Saudi fans who crossed the border, the passion for, for football, um, particularly within Saudi, the, the, the kind of the, the football culture there. Some of the songs were great. It was kind of bizarre as I left the stadium. There was a fan in a in a green Saudi shirt which had Messi number 10 on the back. Just, wow. you know, amazing. Covering all um, the bases. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Where, where are you off to next, James? I'm going to Belgium's game uh, tomorrow. Against um, Canada. Against the Canadians, yeah. yeah. My, my maple leaves. I'm a big maple syrup fan. I love it there on my pancakes. Go. So, um, but so you, there you go. But you put them sometimes on Belgian waffles, so that's going to be a dilemma. <laughs> yeah, dilemma. I might have to duck and waffle. But anyway, there nice. you go. I've, I've waffled on far, far too long as it is. So no, not at all. Fabulous stuff there from James and Whale. Uh, now we can get the thoughts of Jay and Liam. Where do you want to begin, guys? I mean, um, for me, any major international tournament doesn't really get underway until there's a, a little bit of jeopardy. Um, and so the first couple of days have pretty much gone to gone to script. I'd barely finished my breakfast and to, to see Saudi Arabia beat Argentina is is huge. And it feels like the tournament's finally got underway a little bit. And in terms of it being one of the, the biggest upsets going, I think it definitely ranks up there. What springs to mind for me is um, Senegal beating France in 2002. So I think France were the 98 World Cup holders at the time and the Euro 2000 champions. You obviously think of Spain at the 2010 World Cup where they lost to Switzerland in the opening game. Went on to win the thing. Went on to win. Mm. Um, Germany obviously lost to Mexico in 2018. Um, so it's not unheard of. Um, but I just absolutely love it when everyone's, you know, talking about Messi, potentially Messi's final World Cup and, you know, all the players are proper geared up for it. And to see them start quite well yep. and then just completely fade was, um, uh, you know, forgive me, Argentina fans for, for saying this, but but quite amazing to watch. Yeah, we'll talk much more about Argentina, I'm sure. But let's let's focus for a second or two on a Saudi Arabia team who were unfancied, to put it mildly, coming into this, Liam. How did Hervé Renard work this football miracle? I think it's quite interesting tactically. This Argentina team were phenomenal in both World Cup qualifying and the Copa America that they won last summer, doing what they did in the first half, scoring early, uh, not quite shutting up shot, but they're a team that can then you know manage the game in numerous ways. They uh, had another goal disallowed for offside. You know they looked like they could have um, yeah two goals sorry they could have had this game really out of sight by half time. Um, Saudi Arabia, very brave, very high line. Um, you know, they didn't have a lot of possession, but by no means were camped in their own box. They were trying to catch them offside. I think they had a record number of offsides. Um, they had more offsides, I think, Argentina than any team in a game at the last World Cup yeah. in the first half, which is you know a crazy comparison. Um, and then, of course... I think you make that moment possible, don't you? Or those two goals possible when you keep the scoreline down, you, you make this uh, a possible reality. But that first half, then it, 
it could have gone very differently. You know, fine margins. Had Argentina been slightly more on their game, it, it would have been a very a very different result. But then I guess you could say that about a lot of football matches. And and then came that extraordinary five minutes in which Saudi Arabia had their three shots, two of which they scored. So first of all, Al Sheri looking like Al Shearer, I felt, <laughs> surging across Christian Romero and then beating Emiliano Martinez with that lovely little, just finding the, the corner. And then I'm sure you were excited by one of your favourite players, Salim Al-Dazari. Mm, features in the radar, so, you know, very good inclusion for him there. Uh, he's a very good, very good right-footed player. Often plays off the left, uh, likes to cut inside. He's, I think a great description of him is that he's more of a scorer of great goals rather than being a great goal scorer. And that, I think, really summed it up, um, you know, cutting inside and, um, you know, finding the corner like that. He scored their winning goal uh, against Egypt at the last World Cup as well. So he's clearly got, you know, the, the knack now for being a sort of a clutch player for them. So, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic result. Argentina had about 40 minutes to try and come back from this 2-1 scoreline. That's something they've not had any practice at for a very long time. Of course, they've been on this incredible un un unbeaten run. But is it fair to say, without taking anything away from Saudi Arabia, that Argentina's approach to this game, perhaps mentally, wasn't all that it could have been? I think, I think that's fair. Um, first half, they looked as they often do, very assured, very quick at the traps, um, very rocked evidently psychologically by those two goals. But I was surprised to see their approach when they were 2-1 down, lots of crosses into the box, lots of free kicks being rushed, um, a real lack of patience. They really looked panicked, I guess. They probably weren't, um, you know, coaches will say they've got plan A, B, C, D, but I think in their heart of hearts, Lionel Scaloni's not expecting to, to go 2-1 down. But then a big credit to Saudi Arabia because they defended that box incredibly well. Um, and you saw their celebrations at full time. Yeah, you could see what that result meant. It certainly felt like Argentina was so confident the, the ball in behind was going to work. And obviously it did work quite a lot in the first half. That even when they went 2-1 down, it was, if we keep doing this, we're going to score eventually. I even remember on commentary, someone saying, oh, there's 20 minutes left. Are they going to get chances? They're going to get in behind, which is maybe a little bit of a lazy thing to say, because if actually if they've caught Argentina offside that many times, well, it, it clearly it clearly was working. But, you know, Liam's touched on it. It just felt like they never expected to 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 go into that position, which is, you know, naive for a coach to do that. So to not kind of have any idea of how to kind of switch up the players obviously brought on Julian Alvarez who, who, who did make a little bit of a difference look quite positive but it never fully clicked mm. why wasn't Messi able to make the difference I mean he could he, he could have put them one them up after the first uh, 90 seconds 90 or so couldn't he in, so. Yeah. <laughs> he got the penalty which with, with which they'd taken the lead but in that final flurry is with as you say so many clearances on the line, some some, yeah. some really astonishing bits of defending. But there were chances for him. There was a free kick. There was another moment where the the ball was at his feet in the box and you felt, here, he'll make that turn. He'll find a bit of space and, and then we'll see it. Mm. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't to be. And Hervé Renard, I mean, the players, fantastic performances from them. But the, this manager as well, who's got an extraordinary track record, twice Africa Cup of Nations winner with... Zambia and Ivory Coast. And as Johnny Blaine was tweeting, almost exactly 18 years ago to the day, uh, he ma was managing Cambridge United to a 3-1 victory over Russian and, no Russian and Diamonds. Yeah, They have since folded Russian and Diamonds as well. There so, you go. Yeah. Ominous directions. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Anyone here fancy an XG stat? Always. Lim, you probably know this, but Saudi Arabia's winning performance came with an XG of 0.14, which apparently is the lowest XG... They've ever seen in any World Cup game ever a winning performance in a World Cup game since 1966 because they've gone back through the... Yeah, I think that was one of Opta's big lockdown things was going back and uh, <laughs> recoding all the games. It's uh, right. 
single game XGs are, are never sort of fantastic. I'm sure Mark Carey's screaming at his phone now not to use uh, single game stuff. But it just underlines the point that, you know, they scored two fantastic goals from just three shots. So you're not often going to generate a whole lot of XG in, in that regard. And I think you don't need that to underline the story that um, it's a real great example of how, you know, romantic football can be as a sport of mm-hmm. those narratives that will, you know, live a hell of a long time into the future. Um, this is a very famous game in their history and, and some fantastic finishing. And, and and even for the neutrals, as you were saying, Jay, it was it was kind of the moment that the World Cup really came alive. Yeah, because as you've just mentioned, that's what the, the World Cup is about. It's about those strange, bizarre, funny, happy stories that, that shock you. Um, and everybody would have watched the game this morning fully expecting Argentina to, to come away with a win. You know, I've got friends who are talking about, oh, you know, well, I might put a bit of money on Lautaro Martinez to be the top scorer at the tournament because Argentina have got a pretty easy group and, you know, already plotting about Argentina are going to play this team in the last 16 and this team in the quarterfinals. And it's just a real gut punch to that. It's every team who's at this tournament is there for a reason. I think Saudi Arabia are fifth, ranked 54th in the world, but that's irrelevant because this is knockout football and anything can happen. And, and the fact that they have gone ahead and surprised everyone, it is what the World Cup is about. These are the memories that when we reflect in years years gone by and say, do you remember the 2022 World Cup? People will remember that game. I certainly will. They might not have too many more games to remember of Leo Messi. Does he only have two more World Cup games left? How worried should Argentina be? It throws the group wide open, which I think is really good fun. This was one that... I think I, along with many others, looked at before in advance and you sort of, Argentina were nailed on to win it. It felt like it was a shootout between Mexico and Poland to come second, which is even weirder now that they've drawn 0-0. So that <laughs> seems to really say, don't definitely don't know there, but obviously Saudi Arabia now top of the group. It's, um, it's great. I think one of my favourite things is often when you get to the third round of games and you get the weird jeopardy of permutations can work a certain way I remember Manuel Neuer's sort of sweeper keeping for Germany and playing as a as an attacker when they needed a result um, in years gone by so this this could be a group where you get permutations like that and um, I think it would be really disrespectful to suggest that Saudi Arabia have peaked here you know they might need another point might be enough to qualify them particularly with Mexico and Poland dropping points um, and there's nothing to say they can't get a result there Wow yeah it's going to be fascinating to see what happens when uh, this group returns That'll be on Saturday when Argentina will take on Mexico and Saudi Arabia will have Poland, who, as we mentioned, had that nil-nil with Mexico. A nil-nil, which could have been a one-nil win for Poland, had Robert Lewandowski scored from the spot. He had a chance to finally get his first ever World Cup goal, but he was denied, Liam. Denied by... Oshoa. And as, as Jay said, there's moments, I think, at a World Cup where you feel like it's come alive and now Ochoa being very good once again uh, between the sticks is a... Uh, you know, that's been, I think, quintessential at the last couple of tournaments, you know, making saves. Not often penalties, often it's, you know, good reaction stops, um, but just fantastic to see him again. This is his fifth World Cup. Yeah, I don't think he played it the first two, but he's been part of squads there. And, right. um, you know, he's, he's in his late 30s now, so he's, he's perhaps not at the peak of where he was sort of domestically. But to see him, um, saw a great tweet that someone said that he's what uh, he's to football, what Mariah Carey is to Christmas, just sort of coming alive at these <laughs> specific times of year. And I thought that was a wonderful encapsulation of that. <laughs> Mariah Carey is not just for Christmas. Well, but, but fair. Was he not also the uh, goalkeeper who made the most saves at the 2018 World Cup? Mm. Yes. And for those that like all the sort of advanced stats, his... Uh, 
across the last two World Cups, the last two full World Cups, and including today's games, uh, his saves have prevented about five more goals than an average Oof. goalkeeper would be expected to make. So he's a uh, five more good. goals than you would be yeah. expected to. Yeah, is what what's that called? X. Uh, it's it's X like SF. Um, yeah, it's, it becomes very much an acronym. Um, sort of goals prevented above average or goals saved above average is what right. it gets to. Uh, Reduced to, but that's that's really good. That's the best of any keeper as well. Um, not that we needed the stats to know, but it's good to no, see. No, okay. So, what is the acronym? Just to, I think GSAA is often the one I see. Goal saved above average. Okay. Hmm. Nice. Mexico goalkeeper Guillermo Ochoa went to the same World Cup as Shaka Hislop. Points out Daniel's story. Thank you for that, Daniel. <laughs> All right. After this, we'll get on to Group D. This upcoming World Cup, what are The Athletic going to be doing about it? Well, every night I'll be hosting a totally football show with the likes of Raphael Honigstein, James Horncastle and the rest of the Totally crew. Then every morning from Qatar, wham, The Athletic Football Podcast will be at you with David Ornstein, Matt Slater, Adam Crafton and many more. There'll also be World Cup content from Adam Hurry's Football Clichés Podcast, Michael Cox's insightful Athletic Football Tactics Podcast and Joe Devine's TIFO Podcast with all the stories that matter from Qatar. All in all, The Athletic is your essential audio companion for the upcoming World Cup. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by LiveScore Bet, the home of squads. Squads is a weekly free-to-play game. You reveal five players across the week which make up your squad, and you can earn cash each time they score in the selected games. The cash amount is decided by LiveScore Bet's prize wheel and can range from 10p up to £50 per goal, which you can spend once the final player is revealed. Find out more and play squads for yourself for free at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScore Bet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only and full terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. France, Australia, Tuesday evening in Group D, sounded a little bit like this. Bless you. Uh, French commentaries, I mean, it's... It's fantastic. It is fantastic. And so is Olivier Giroud. Uh, Jay, you Olivier Giroud fan? I'm a Olivier Giroud fan, but I'm also a massive Thierry Henry fan. So ah. although I'm, I'm, you know, it's good for Olivier Giroud, especially because he, he always seems to have this like if attached to him when, when people talk about his football career. It's almost if, as if he's never been quite good enough to, to please everybody. Mm-hmm. So I'm really glad for him that he's, you know, he's leveled the record and is obviously in a great position to surpass it. But then obviously I love Thierry Henry. So I'm like, I'm sad to see him lose that record. Right. I mean, they're sharing it for the moment, are they not? They're both on yeah, 51. It's like the inevitable's coming you at this feel. point. Although Giroud didn't score at all in the last World Cup. so But a great start to, to this. He gets a brace in that 4-1 win. A game which started in unexpected fashion. 
Australia scored. Yes. Yeah, not not too many. Um, I think predicted that. And it's interesting, their, their selection, Craig Goodwin hadn't played tons, their winger. Um, they seemed like they were set up to sort of cross uh, quite heavily from wide areas. Craig Goodwin, a left footer off the left. Um, and Matthew Leckie, a right footer on the right. And the big man, Mitchell Duke, up top. Um, so intrigued to see how they do in the rest of the group, Australia. Mm. Um, I think they've got obviously more favourable fixtures coming up. And I don't think they scored a non-penalty goal at the last World Cup. Or maybe the one before that either. So... Uh, They've finally got a non-penalty goal. Yeah, and it was a it was a very well taken goal mm. as well. France a little bit uh, stung by that. The next thing that happened to them was a an injury for Lucas Hernandez, which saw his brother Teo Hernandez brought on instead, which is yet another injury for a already depleted France squad. But in this specific game, might have actually brought some 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 benefits. Mm. Uh, I thought they were interesting. Deschamps spoke before the tournament about switching back to a 4-2-3-1. They'd used a back three really well in the Nations League. Um, and I was intrigued that uh, Hernandez was playing really high up on the left and Pavard on the right was a lot deeper, lower down the pitch. His job seemed to be almost stay out of the way at times, stay inside and let those passes get played to Ousmane Dembele, who I think as well was fantastic out wide. It was a really well sort of balanced um, France attack, I think, in terms of having a lot of good games and good players. Um, you know, obviously Mbappe among the goals again, Giroud, as we've said, Dembele. It didn't feel like they were limited to one or two players. Um, and that's why I think they created so much and, and scored so much. Right, Adrian Rabiot as well, who had, had the equaliser. In fact, with this quartet of scoring strikes, France have already scored more group stage goals in this World Cup than they did in the 2002 edition, the 2006 edition, the 2010 edition. The 2018 edition. I mean, I want to draw a crazy conclusion from that, but 2002, they get knocked out of the group stage. 2006, they reached the final. 2010 is the the dominant, everything went wrong off the pitch. And 2018, they win it. So I don't know how much (laughs) to read into it. Obviously, it's really impressive. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, How worried should Deschamps be by the mounting injury list? I think in, incredibly worried because they just seem to be absolutely dropping like flies. And I think there was even a point in the second half where Teo Hernandez was on the, the receiving end of quite a nasty challenge. And, and we all kind of looked at each other and thought, here we go again. We know France's quality. We know they've got the individuals to, to, to potentially win the tournament. But when you've lost Kante, Pogba, Kimpembe, Lucas Hernandez. Benzema. Be, you know, Benzema. How can I forget Benzema? It just becomes more and more difficult um, to field your best players and to field players in a system that they're all comfortable with and they play with each other all the time. So hopefully they'll be able to get over it. But I mean, if they suffered any more injuries, then it'd become even more difficult. Mm. Denmark, Tunisia, the other game in this group earlier on was a, a, a bit on the dull side. Is that fair? Mm. Yeah, that's, that's very fair. Uh, there was <laughs> a... Well, both teams, both sides had chances, possibly Tunisia with, with better chances, although there was that big miss for... And uh, Andres Cornelius? I mean, I'm trying to even remember what happened. Was It, it was from Ericsson's corner. And um, is it Hoiberg gets the initial contact and he heads it back across and Cornelius is what, basically on the line. And um, I think it would have been better if he didn't make contact with the ball, but right. it actually does glance his head and it somehow goes wide. I mean, I was, yeah. if you're a Denmark fan, you would have been screaming at the TV then. But I mean, on Denmark... Funnily enough, Liam and I were having this conversation with one of our colleagues, Ahmed, in the office yesterday about why Philip Billing maybe didn't get included in Denmark's squad. And we said that their quality really is all focused on central midfield and centre-backs. And they don't really seem to have much of anything else, really. Um, The way they played against Tunisia, they were very much quite over-reliant on hitting the ball out to the left wing-back, Joachim Mela, and kind of expecting him to be the one to provide energy and thrust and pace and Tunisia clocked onto that pretty quickly. 
They bring on Michael Damsgaard for Thomas Delaney, who went off injured. And obviously Damsgaard is a player I've seen a little bit of in the past couple of months because I covered Brentford. Um, but he's not really had the chance to to build up any real type of form. Um, it was quite well documented that it was discovered that he had an arthritic condition earlier this year um, and he had knee surgery last year as well. So people always talk about Damsgaard's performances at the Euros, but he's barely played since and he's supposed to kind of be that one other technician who can dribble past people in tight spaces but as I've mentioned we've we've rarely seen him so it felt like once Tunisia defended so well that centrally Denmark didn't really know what to do and Cornelius and Skov Olsen and Dolberg who were, were playing up front for them I just don't think are, are good enough to take them really really far in this competition lots of people talk about Denmark being dark horses mm. and, and I do agree with that but I think what holds them back from from really going further is that lack of a goal scorer. How do you think they'll find the France game? They've actually done quite well against France in um in recent in recent years. Um, they beat them in the Nations League back in September. Yeah, home and away. Yeah, yeah. home and away. Um, so Casper Hulman clearly knows how to to beat France. So I don't think people should go into this game thinking, "Oh, France are going to turn Denmark over." Well, um, today's taught us anything, Jay. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, very true. Mm. All right. Liam, anything you want to say about this game before we touch on Wednesday's treats? Uh, Tunisia are actually quite a good defensive side. Uh, they were quite a solid side um, in qualifying at AFCON as well. So I, I know it can be quite a simplistic sort of reductionist take on a team. You know, are they strong defensively? You know, hard to break down, but these generally are quite a good defensive unit. Um, I can see them also then providing difficult challenges um, for Australia in particular uh, and maybe France as well. So they're maybe not too exciting going forward. They looked quite lively on the break. Mm. Um, I think what really summed up the game uh, was that there were 15 of the 24 shots across both teams uh, came from corners which is the highest proportion um, in a World Cup game since 1966 which I think just shows a lack of open play quality yeah, right. everything being from corners and um, you know Ericsson I was quite intrigued he sort of had a bit of corner practice at one point where he's just mixing up sort of some outswingers some <laughs> straight balls he's a uh, it's like he's in a training session really wow. Uh, that was then Group D on Tuesday and they'll be back on Saturday what though awaits on Wednesday we'll talk about that next Incredible game. When they play with a false nine, it changes everything. A false nine, eh? What's that then? Well, it, it's um, <laughs> you, you know, it, it's what well, he's, he's a nine, but he's not really a nine in the area. And uh... oh, uh, sorry, I just got to take that. Urgent football question? Call the Athletic Emergency Football Hotline 0800 433 433. News, insights, analysis. The Athletic. Know the game. Love the game. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. 
Now, because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. There's a special offer this week in which you can purchase a subscription to The Athletic for just a pound a month. That's a pound a month for the next 12 months. Go to theathletic.com slash totally if you want all the details. Crikey, Wednesday in the World Cup, there's Group E and Group F. Group E, we'll see Belgium, Canada. Liam, you're looking forward to Canada a lot. We'll be hearing from Joshua Cloak in a little bit. Also in Group E, Morocco taking on Croatia. Morocco, you'll recall, in our preview show, Raphael Honigstein was predicting we'd get out of the group. Alongside Belgium, I think he said, and he, he had Croatia not, not making it. I think it, it was the other way around. Was it the other way around? Yeah. I mean, he was just saying stuff anyway. <laughs> uh, group F, meanwhile, uh, will have uh, Spain against Costa Rica. And with Germany, Japan. Germany, who've just uh, lost Leroy Sané as well, another team with uh, a mounting number of absentees. What are you looking forward to from that lot? Germany. Yeah. Mainly for Jamal Musiala. Mm. I'm gutted that Sané's out because... When Sane was at Manchester City, he was always one of those players um, I really liked. I'm a stickler for left-footed players on the left wing. Okay. Um, and But to then also see Sane's development, I know he's played quite centrally a lot for Bayern this year, but after a couple of bad years with injuries, it's, it feels like Sane's kind of back to his absolute best. So to see him miss this game is, is really unfortunate. But yeah, just to kind of see the way Jamal Musiala's kicked on, I think him and Benningham are those two special talents who we saw glimpses of at Euro 2020. And now this feels like this could be the tournament where we already know that they're insanely talented, but it feels like this is going to be when they kind of truly take that next step up to kind of like world superstar status. Mm. Germany looking for a bit of redemption 
after their last World Cup and some of their form since then as well, finishing third and narrowly avoiding relegation in their Nations League group uh, with Italy, England and Hungary. As for Belgium-Canada, the game that we're kind of looking forward to, it's been dubbed the biggest game in the Maple Leafs history by no lesser figure than the Athletics' Joshua Cloak, who actually joins us right now for a heads-up on the Maple Leafs' chances. In your wildest dreams, Canada is going to the World Cup! Oh, Canada! Oh, baby! Josh, thank you so much for joining us. So, it all starts... Wednesday evening. How how excited are you right now? Yeah, I I think I'm excited just to kind of see how this Canadian team approaches the moment, right? Like it's one thing to kind of steamroll through CONCACAF qualifying, which they did. um, And that was unprecedented. That was surprising. But I, I think, you know, after a few days of celebration, everybody around this national team kind of said, okay, but how are they going to do when they face real, you know, kind of all-world competition? And I think you can make the case that, you know, if you look at Canada's kind of history as a men's national team, they've never had a game as big as this one on Wednesday. Um, in part because, you know, when they went to the World Cup in 1986, the, the, the World Cup isn't what it is now, just in terms of being a global event. And two, they've never played a team as good as Belgium, right? They played Uruguay in, in September in a friendly uh, that, you know, Uruguay didn't really look like they put their foot on the gas for the whole 90 minutes. Um, Belgium is just another class of team. So it'll be very interesting to see how Canada responds, not just tactically, but to you know, to the moment itself, mm. right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Having said that, you were the story, as you kind of touch on there, uh, of CONCACAF qualification, topping the uh, octagonal. Uh, what's behind the surge? Is it a golden generation? Is it the work of John Herdman? It's probably a little bit of both, but I think um, John Herdman probably tips the scales. Um, and I shouldn't even say probably. Look, uh, John Herdman is the most important person in this Canadian men's national team's turnaround. Um, and I don't think you'll find anybody that will debate that. Yes, they have you know, now players that we can call global stars like Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David. We have, a, you know, Canada has emerging stars like Tejon Buchanan. And, and, you know, it's it's interesting when three of your your best players are also three of your youngest players you you know you can start to call it a golden generation but I do think you know they haven't outside of CONCACAF they haven't made a real they haven't won a lot yet Hmm. but with John Herdman I think when you look at where this team was when John took over um, in 2018 right the year before they were ranked 120th in the world they were a a certified minnow you know of global soccer um John's ability to get the team to a buy into a, a, a you know an incredibly robust culture, right? John's first training camps, um, or his first training camp in 2018, there were two fist fights within the team, and this team was a fractured team with cliques. And the word that you hear around this Canadian team more than anything else is brotherhood, um, and players believe in that. So that's something that John created. Look, John Herdman has literally been on the ground in Canada's financial hubs, raising money for this team because we know that this 
this organization, it just their budgets pale in comparison to most of the other teams at the World Cup. And tactically, he's created kind of a fluidity and a versatility that Canada are really going to need if they have any chance of surprising Belgium. So yeah, John Herdman is the kind of the, the, the linchpin in all of this, but like the players, the test that he's going to face against Belgium is unlike any test he, he's, he's honestly ever faced. Mm. Although he has been to big tournaments before. He took the women's national side to back-to-back bronze medals in 2012 and 2016 Olympics. The first person to be manager at both the men's and the women's World Cups from Durham. You mentioned the the sometimes precarious nature of, of, of the finances behind Canada's men's team. They're the only country at the World Cup that didn't actually get new kits for the tournament from their sponsor. Yeah, I wrote about this at length um, for The Athletic. This was something that I think disappointed both a lot of fans and also disappointed players, right? I think most players know you maybe get one chance to go to a World Cup and you want to kind of show yourself. And, And that's a big part of what Canada is doing here. They are trying to announce themselves to the soccer world. And you're doing that in essentially training wear. Um, You know, essentially what I found out is that when Canada Soccer signed on with Nike um, in 2018, there was kind of the belief from Nike that Canada wouldn't qualify for the 2022 World Cup and therefore they didn't require the kind of contract that would stipulate they get a new kit. For, for 2022. Obviously, 2026, when they coast, is going to be something different. On one hand, you could say these are the growing pains of, of becoming a, an emerging force uh, in, in international soccer. But I think it just highlights just how far the Canadian soccer infrastructure has to, to go. I mean, we know that the Canadian men's team went on strike and didn't play a friendly against Panama, a scheduled friendly against Panama, over concerns of match payments um and and this is all just part of it as my understanding is they still don't have a contract in place um you know for match payments heading into the world cup and i I don't know how many other you know national teams can say that so again it's not just about what they do off the pitch i think the world cup is a remarkable opportunity for those in canadian soccer just to see how far the gap is between you know, where they are now and where they need to, to get to be, especially, again, by 2026. There's a lot of eyeballs pointing towards 2026 right now because Canada will be co-hosting games. And I think, I guess, outside of the current hosts, right, the hosts are usually expected to get out of the group. Um, so it's, it's imperative that, the, you know, continued steps need to be made, you know, within the Canadian men's national team. Well, 1986, three losses and not one goal scored. This time around in a group with Belgium, Morocco and Croatia. It looks like a tough ask, but Josh, to an extent, have they won just by being here? There was a point not too long ago where, you know, Canada Soccer as an organisation had to pay broadcasters to get their games on television like that. That was the state of Canadian soccer, which I think kind of illustrates how far this team has come um, and they were able to kind of galvanize the country because they were winning, right? And so if they show up at the World Cup and they get waxed by Belgium and and Croatia, um, you you lose a lot of momentum. So, you know, positive results and and just genuine effort is something that we're really going to need to see out of this team. But, you know, this is a team that is multicultural, it's diverse, you know, half the players on this team are players of color. Um, and so in that sense, this team looks like modern Canada, 
right? Canada, is, as I'm sure we all know, is a remarkably diverse multicultural nation that provides a lot of opportunities um, for refugees, um, for immigrants. That, you know, that's the backbone of what this country is. If the country is any good at all, it's because of the opportunities they provide to people that, that need them. And I think you will see and hear a lot of those stories within the men's national team. You know, so many of these players are first generation Canadians. Um, their best player, Alfonso Davies, is a refugee. They're, you know, arguably their second best player is an immigrant from Haiti, right? It, it, the list kind of goes on and on. So, yes, it, it matters that they kind of show an effort, um, even if that means, a, you know, two, maybe three losses. But I think it's also just important for this team to showcase to, you know, players uh, that maybe don't have a lot of advantages in Canada, players of colour, that there is a home for them in the national team moving forward. Joshua Cloak there. Wow, if I wasn't looking forward to the game before, I certainly am now. And what's this? The referee is going to be Zambian Jenny Sikazwi. That name sounds familiar, Liam. Why do I remember that name? This was a quite controversial referee from the Africa Cup of Nations um, who clearly isn't massively in line with FIFA's new uh, added time oh, yeah. Uh, protocol. Yeah. So uh, all the games have been 98 minutes or more and most of them a lot more. But he famously blew for the end of his match. Uh, it was uh, Mali against Tunisia. Mali were a goal up in the 85th minute. <laughs> when When his error was pointed out, he relented and allowed them to play on but then blew up again... <laughs> With 89 minutes and 43 <laughs> seconds played. Maybe he had somewhere to get to. Yeah, maybe he did. Tunisia weren't happy because they were trying to, you know, yeah, they were yeah. pressing for an equalizer. <laughs> and that. But uh, no doubt there was some defective timepiece or something like that. And nothing of that ilk will be taking place on Wednesday. Uh, very good. Jay, you're off to the World Cup on Monday. Yeah, thrilled to be going. It's my first major international tournament abroad. I did some stuff at the Women's Euros in the summer. Uh, but it's something I've always really wanted to do. And I know the first couple of games I'm going to. Um, and one of them is Ghana-Uruguay, which is obviously just <laughs> the biggest grudge match potentially in World Cup history. Certainly in recent World Cup history, I can remember, you know, being my being in my teens and watching um, Ghana-Uruguay at the 2010 World Cup and that Suarez handball. And to actually then go and kind of watch that, that drama play out. And that's the final game in their group as yeah. well. I'm really looking forward to that one. I hope it lives up to it. I hope it lives I, up to it. I truly do. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, perhaps we'll hear from you Definitely. in Qatar. Lim, you're back with us on Friday. You can't get rid of me, can you? No. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, no, not. No, we can't. <laughs> <laughs> the thought never crossed our mind. No, looking forward to hearing your thoughts on uh, that'll be uh, the return of England's group. Mm. Hopefully we'll have better news on the Harry Kane situation and that. So, uh, yeah. Excellent. Uh, in the meantime, we'll be returning, of course, on Wednesday evening stroke Thursday morning with our thoughts on those aforementioned Wednesday games. Uh, listener, do join us for that. Many, many thanks to everyone who was part of today's show, especially producer Charlie and you, listener. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app, discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. 
The Athletic.